Hello, and welcome to the Astrology Hotline, where we answer your questions about your birth chart or about astrology in general. Today is Saturday, July 3rd. My name is Tristan Paler, and co-hosting with me today is Kyle Pierce. Hello, everyone. We're both professional astrologers with an eclectic approach built on the foundation of Hellenistic astrology. And we've got a couple of listener questions to share with you today and interpret. If you wanna, do you want to go ahead and introduce our first question, Kyle? Sure, we can go ahead and get started. Uh, so our first question is from Katie. Katie asks, transiting Mars opposite natal Mars, how does that often present? especially now with Mars in a T-square with Saturn and Uranus. I'm having a major case of the I don't cares right now, and I have a feeling it is because of the pileup of planets involved in this T-square. Uranus is conjoined my natal cryon in Taurus right now, too, and Mars is sitting on my natal north node about to conjoin my natal Mars. The overall energy lately has been, what am I doing with my life? Can I sustain this current work I'm doing? And why am I bothering anymore. Lots of listless, I don't have the drive or care feelings. So, Katie, excellent question. Uh, I was really eager to answer this one because it involves a really significant aspect pattern that I think is really characterizing the, the current astrological weather. But I also happen to be kind of in the crosshairs of it. So I'm, I'm definitely feeling it. I have a, like a Sun-Jupiter conjunction about 12-ish degrees of Taurus. So uh, it's right kind of in the heart of, of the action. So, you know, to address the first part of your question, transiting Mars opposite natal Mars, you know, that's going to vary a lot depending on, you know, what else is involved in a transit. I think in a general sense, I think of it kind of like um, in terms of phase, like a, a full moon. So maybe kind of like uh, the culminating phase of the Mars cycle as it pertains to your chart and what it points to in your chart. But I think in this case, we've really got to put it in the context of, you know, the current transit. How would you typically read uh, transiting Mars opposing natal Mars, Kristen? Um, I mean, the first thing I think about is the nature of the aspect itself. Uh, the nature, the natures of the aspects get some of their significations from uh, the planet they're associated with and the opposition is the aspect of Saturn. So it has the character of delays and frustrations, um, putting things on hold, um, challenges and setbacks, you know, a need to find balance, that sort of thing. So while you might think any sort of Mars-Mars aspect might be energizing, I'd expect the Mars opposition to be, I mean, when you think about its place in the cycle, of Mars aspects, like, you know, Kyle was just sort of touching on, it's the point where whatever projects Mars has been working on get kind of put on hold or challenged or questioned in some way. So with transits, I like to look at the cycle of the aspects. I like to look at the last aspect the transiting planet made to the relevant planet. So the last time Mars made an aspect to your natal Mars, uh, it made a trine aspect from <clears throat> the beginning of March to the end of April when Mars was in Gemini. 
So if you look back on that period um, and maybe identify some themes that are connected to what Mars represents in your chart, um, you might notice that stuff that you were working on then has been kind of put on hold now. Um, if you were pushing yourself too hard, the Mars opposition can represent a time of of burnout. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> I, I I tend to agree. Um, oppositions do have that that nature um, nature of Saturn. Uh, I sort of think that you know it, it obviously depends on the planet involved, but I think that it kind of has that quality in part because of it being sort of a uh, a ripeness or a fullness of that cycle. Kind of like you finished your first draft and you're kind of submitting it for review. And that's when you kind of maybe become like aware of all the problems with, you know, whatever that project is. So, I mean, I think there's already kind of built in to the transit, like a, a reassessment. You know, how am I going to move on to the next phase? The sort of culminating or not culminating, the disseminating phase where you kind of proceed offload, you know, uh, sort of carry forward with the project? I've actually, uh, I've had this transit recently. Um, my Mars is in Capricorn in the seventh house. Um, so when I was reading your question, that made me think about my own experience um, during that transit and also made me look back at what was going on the time previously when Mars made a trine aspect um, I won't get into, you know, the minutia of my own chart. So I'll just focus on, you know, Mars being in my seventh house and being opposed, uh, from my first house. And, uh, the previous part of the cycle when I had Mars trine Mars was not long after my partner and I moved into a new place. And, you know, I think it was actually during that transit of Mars trying my natal Mars that we, you know, finally finished unpacking the living room and we were, you know, becoming accustomed to a new routine as a couple in a new space. And, you know, that was all fine and dandy and, you know, trines are often easy and not all that noticeable. So then when the Mars opposition comes around, sometimes, you know, that can represent a time of those things being challenged. And when Mars opposed my Mars, um, my partner got pretty sick. He's fine. Everything's okay. But, you know, the sort of routine that we had established as a couple in our space and, and the division of responsibilities that um, had become a routine was kind of shaken up. And I had to take on more responsibility, just, you know, Mars and Capricorn. And then, you know, during that period, I also sustained a minor injury to my hand. And one of the extra responsibilities I, you know, is taking on around the house was uh, bringing the chickens outside in the morning. And it's this whole contraption with a rope. And it's very hard to do when uh, I don't have a serious injury, but it was enough, like there was some bruising on my hand that it made it difficult. So it was just like kind of one thing after another um, that was kind of shaking things up in, you know, forcing me to certain Mars-related projects that I had on the go, you know, in my work life or in my personal life were kind of, you know, delayed or disrupted. And I mean, none of this was, you know, a huge deal or anything like that and everything is fine. But, you know, I don't I don't tell these stories to scare anyone, but it just seemed symbolically very fitting. Um, you know, that's just sort of one thing after another, getting in the way, you know, walls in front of you kind of experience. 
Yeah, I, that's making me think of, again, I don't want to get too off track because <laughs> I, I want to, you know, we want to talk about like the aspect pattern in general, but I think with like, yeah, the Mars opposition and that kind of point in the cycle, it's like Mars is very directed, has a goal that it's, you know, can be pretty single-minded. And I think the opposition is kind of when things catch up with Mars, you know, maybe when all the minutia catches up, all the the sort of issues and in, in, in details that maybe um, hinder or create obstacles. I think about it as like, a, you know, with Mars, I always have to use like war analogies. But like when you're on a campaign and you've like invaded, you know, the enemy country and you've gotten so far into enemy territory, you've taken all this land. And at that point, you have to um, kind of consolidate your resources. You know, everything's kind of all spread out. You know, the peasants are revolting. Uh, you got to kind of deal with everything that you've gained so far before you can make any more progress. Well, one thing, you know, I, I do want to say, when you're looking at uh, planets in your chart that are affected by transits, I think something that my example really drove home for me is that you're not only looking at, you know, your own subjective experience and what's happening to you, but also the people around you, because the planets in your chart represent people in your life as well. And, you know, this, this pileup of, you know, planets in T-square um, that are transiting through your chart are transiting through the angular houses, um, the fourth the seventh and the 10th, which are the most, I mean, for one, those are the most sort of active, prominent areas of life. And, you know, that can certainly represent a lot. If there's any tension between those three areas of life, those tensions can, you know, come to a head. But, you know, with, with the fourth house and, and the seventh house in particular, you know, those houses also relate to other people. And so, you know, with my experience of Mars opposition Mars, like my partner had it a whole lot worse than I did. He's the one who actually got sick. I was fine. You know, I had a very, you know, minor hand injury. There's nothing to complain about, but you know, he, he was not having a great time. And sometimes those malefic transits, you know, can show up that way where, you know, you've got Mars in, in the fourth house and, Saturn is transiting over that, which, you know, compounds the opposition, you know, with that sense of frustration and, and things being slowed down or maybe burnout. But that's stuff that like maybe roommates or family members um, might also be encountering some of those themes in their own lives. And, you know, those situations in their lives also have an impact on your own. So that's that's something to be mindful of, too, when you're interpreting transits, I think. I mean, obviously your experience is that you are feeling this, these themes playing out personally and Mars happens to rule your first house, you know, so that makes a ton of sense um, that this would be affecting you on a very personal level as well. But it's worth worth sort of thinking about um, other people in your life too, what, what they're going through and how that might be affecting how you're feeling. For sure. I'd say almost more often than not, like a lot of like big transits, you're expecting something really significant for yourself. And it's just an issue that you're dealing with that involves somebody else or, you know, it's not always about you. But from what you've described, um, it sounds like you're feeling uh, what I think a lot of people with sensitive points uh, that are being hit by this transit are feeling. 
And I think it, it it's going to play out uh, very differently for, you know, depending on, you know, what planet's being activated. But I want to talk a little bit about it um, kind of generally. Actually, Tristan, did you see that clip kind of going around on the internet uh, right now uh, about the pipeline burst, the gas line burst in the Gulf of Mexico? I have not seen it. All right. I'm going to send you a quick link. Is there literally fire in the water? Yes. So for those who haven't seen the video, there's fire bubbling up, like emerging from the water. But it literally looks like, you know, there's a, like just a, you know, a ball of flames in the water, like the water itself is on fire. And I mean, if that's not, when I think about the hard aspect part of aspect cycles, especially those that involve Saturn, because Saturn represents time and the consequences of our actions, you know, I can't help looking at this and thinking, ah, yes, here are the consequences of our actions. This, <laughs> yeah. is, this is that part of, you know, the the narrative where what was done and seemed like an okay idea at the time turns out not to be such a great idea after all. Yeah, I mean, running uh, pipelines through the ocean of flammable gas or yeah. oil, uh, you know, has consequences. But uh, I think what I find the most interesting about it, because when I think about, for anybody maybe not watching the, the transits, uh, right now, Uranus is in Taurus, about 12 degrees, 13 degrees. Saturn is in Aquarius, about 12 degrees. And Mars, as of today, the, the 3rd of July, it's just separating from an opposition with Saturn. So the way I kind of look at it in, in general, can't help but like focus on Mars and Saturn first, because like they're the most visible, kind of tangible planets. Mars and Saturn deal with very kind of opposite principles, not completely, but Mars has a lot of momentum, and it's kind of like a like relentless kind of pushing forward, kind of at at any cost. And so you get like sort of severing and cutting with Mars. It's just that's in the way. I'm going to cut through it with Saturn opposing Mars. It's creating obstacles and barriers to Mars. Uh, and I would say that these transits, you know, generally come with frustration. And I'm, I'm actually going to nickname this one the the spirit crusher. Leo, Mars and Leo, it, it can be, it's very egocentric, a very um, a kind of personal drive and will. And getting uh, what, what maybe you want, more or less at all costs, you know, uh, Mars, it wants what it wants, right? Saturn is kind of saying, no, Mars, what you want doesn't necessarily matter or, or what you want is unsustainable. Um, and uh, Saturn, I, I think, is in a stronger position overall, being in its own sign. Mars, it can sort of do its thing in Leo, but it's not particularly, you know, doesn't have any like essential dignity. But, you know, with Uranus uh, kind of in the square with Mars, it's really like pushing Mars forward. It's like Mars wants to go, go, go now, you know. Together, it's like just blasting through obstacles. But Saturn is creating obstacles for <laughs> for, for, for Mars to um, the blast through. And I feel like particularly kind of at, at this phase in the transit, it's just kind of feeling like, like defeating. Uh, it's very um, repressive and defeating kind of configuration. 
I can't help but think of, you know, with Mars and Uranus. I keep thinking of, like the Kool Aid Man, uh, how he, you know, would bust through a wall in the party. He would like show up at the party, um, kind of blasted the wall, like, oh yeah, and. Uh, you know, it was never really addressed in the commercial. Everybody's like happy to see the Kool-Aid man. But in reality, like, dude, you just blasted a hole through my, my house, you know? And I think Saturn's saying like, no, come through the front door, Kool-Aid man. And the Kool-Aid man might just be like, no, like, what's the what's even the point? Like, I can't even, I can't make my entrance. Like, I'm, I'm not really the Kool-Aid man if I can't blast through the wall. I think that's what this transit sort of feels like to me. It just feels like, meh, you know, like you, you, you don't, like what's the point if I can't blast at the wall? Uh, I think one thing too, when uh, you're interpreting your own transits uh, is to take your perfection year into account and uh, to perfect not only from the ascendant, but also from the sect light, um, whichever uh, the sun or the moon um, you know, if, if you were born during the day, then the sun is your sect light. And if you were born at night, that's the moon and perfecting from that point can also tell you a lot about the themes that are astrologically relevant that year. And, you know, looking at your perfections, Katie, you know, Jupiter is, uh, your time Lord, um, perfecting from your ascendant and Jupiter is going to make their way back into Aquarius and I've been thinking about this retrograde period as, you know, Jupiter kind of seeing that their friends are in trouble, like, oh crap, this T-square has formed since I've been gone. I better go back and help out. So, you know, maybe uh, Jupiter moving back into your fourth house and, and getting involved in the T-square can, can start to kind of smooth things over. Yeah, I, I think that, that configuration needs some attention from benefics and you know venus is is in the mix but it sounds like venus is a little bit too involved to really be able to smooth anything out she's kind of like in the mix and like you know going to be in the receiving end i think where is venus right now is it about to hit that opposition yeah it's about seven degrees so i mean it's it's on its way but the thing is i don't know if you you've spotted this yeah, Tristan, but so Jupiter, when it retrogrades back into Aquarius, Mars is going to be exiting at like just the same time. But it's sort of like, um, like as Jupiter makes its way back into Aquarius, it's going to hit that opposition with Mars right as it's leaving. It's kind of like Mars, like kicking Jupiter in the balls as he comes, uh, as he shows up or, you know, like walking in on an argument or like walking in, like right as somebody is storming out of the room, you know? I like that image a lot. Like, well, what happened? <laughs> you know, let's let's deal with uh, let's address what just happened here. Yeah, I think in the big picture sense, you know, Jupiter's definitely going to have their hands full. But I think at least for Katie, because Jupiter's a time lord, hopefully that provides some. You know, hopefully that's a, a positive omen in in your chart, Katie. Um, you know, on the larger scale, Jupiter's probably still going to. Perhaps regret walking back in that door. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, I think Jupiter would rather stay in Pisces, but yeah, we need you, Jupiter. Please, please come help us, Jupiter. Venus can't do it alone. We, we need both the benefics in here to mediate this whole situation. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm 
I'm kind of looking forward to to Jupiter coming back for a little bit. Kind of like all Saturn, you know, is is a little can be a little rough. Speaking of which, I mean, I, I think that I mean it's notable or interesting that you know Kitty has uh, Jupiter and Saturn in Libra conjunct uh, natally. So I mean, I, I feel like uh, the two are, are used to working together for Katie. So I mean, I, I think that uh, I think relief is on the way. But I would say, you know, in the meantime, sort of my my remediative advice, you know, Mars. Uh, I think when like Mars energy is being like suppressed or or um, constrained or restricted, uh, which I think shows up in Katie's chart natally. Uh, so Saturn is ruling Mars in Aquarius. Um, there's like a kind of a sign based trine there, which, you know, is generally a more cooperative aspect, but Saturn, you know, it's out of sect, it, it's exalted, but it's still, you know, a little bit more difficult, even through a trine, like there is some restriction and restraint restraining that Mars is always going to be kind of dealing with in a Saturn ruled sign, especially if it's well configured to it, the it's more constructive, more positive, but maybe not always subjective, subjectively easy. Um, I think that restriction and restraint can build up. I think that it actually, I mean, it takes a lot of energy to restrain Mars. While like pent up energy can kind of manifest as like depression uh, or, or even like low energy, like it's, you need like a raw outlet for Mars. Personally, my, my preferred method of remediation is a punching bag. I find that I it sort of like opens my channels up when I sort of lay in <laughs> to my punching bag and, and throw some some Mars uh, energy at it. Sort of like getting that raw Mars energy out to make way for, you know, uh, a little more um, of a balanced, uh, <laughs> you know, Mars that you can apply to writing projects or, or more mundane affairs, getting the dishes done. I know you, you have a, a Saturn ruled Mars. Granted, you have the exalted Saturn ruled Mars. Uh, I, as well as Katie, I have a Mars in Aquarius. So it's a little bit more of the the challenging Saturn ruled Mars, but I do think you get similar themes. Uh, maybe Mars doesn't like to be as constrained in Aquarius. I don't think it likes air signs as much in general. It doesn't really do as great with mind stuff. I like your point about restraining energy takes energy. And what looks on the surface like <laughs> like calm inside can actually feel very fatiguing trying to maintain that state of calm. Yeah. And I think when there is desire or energy um, that wants to be expressed somehow and it's been held down for so long, that can manifest as that sense of pointlessness like I've given up caring because every time I try to let this out or try to get this ball rolling, something gets in the way. I think too, uh, you know, Katie describing the sort of, I don't care sort of feeling, um, which, you know, uh, feeling similarly, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it takes like, uh, some effort to kind of get up and going. Sometimes I think that that is sort of like the, the face that we paint on, Mars is, uh, I don't give a fuck energy, you know? And I think that that's sort of what needs a, a, an outlet. Because I don't think that's how, you know, any of us want to feel regularly. But, you know, if we don't have an outlet for it, if we don't have a, an outlet for the aggression that Mars points to, 
I think with with Mars and Aquarius specifically, because Saturn's like so negating and so um, particularly in Aquarius is kind of more uh, on the ideal plane, idea plane. That Mars will just kind of say, no, nah, no, nah, I'm not going to show up to that party. I don't really like it. You know, like Mars shows Mars and Aquarius shows aggression by walking out of the room, which is kind of like a, a passive, passive aggressive, passive aggression. So if you can find something to like be actively aggressive towards <laughs> that is safe and healthy and uh, constructive, I think that some of that blockage will clear. But I also think that the energy is about to shift says Mars sort of gets away from that opposition from Saturn and kind of hits Uranus, which is that, is it doing that now? Is that like exact? 21. It's on its way. It's close. Uh, surely by the time this gets out, it'll have passed. But I think that's the point when like Mars is kind of, it's separating from, from the opposition and is a little more on the Uranus side when, um, you know, you'll get more of that like, Mars energy coming through, and I think you may not get a, a choice. You know, you may, uh, if you're not finding like appropriate channels, you might start uh, snapping, you know, at people, hopefully not publicly in the 10th house. But I did want to mention real quick, I found it really interesting that, you know, Bill Cosby uh, being released from prison. When I looked at his chart, his Uranus return is going exact, like uh, literally. It might even be separating from it now, like within days uh, of going exact. So that kind of surprised me a little bit with like Mars, Uranus. I mean, it seems like kind of constraining and like, I think maybe Uranus has like the more, a little more dominant in the configuration as far as Bill Cosby is concerned. Not speaking, you know, talk about his guilt or innocence really, but uh, you're getting more of that liberation end of Uranus. And I guess you know, that's like the big theme is that I think that there is potential for liberation, even in like a difficult, malefic T-square. I think it's sort of begging for something to be liberated. And that could be more constructive or more negative. You know, maybe you have a car. <laughs> like, like imagine having like a car that you're leasing that you're like, oh, I'm paying way too much for this. This is costing way too much money. Um, you know, that could look like crashing it. And maybe getting out of it that way, which is, you know, a little less uh, productive or or you could, you know, um, find somebody to uh, sort of take over that lease for you or, you know, get sort of some sort of trade trade in uh, arrangement, car dealership. Katie kind of brought up sustainability, right? Um, did you already say something about that or? About sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I I mentioned burnout. Burnout. Yeah, for sure. I think that's, I mean, yeah, uh, it's kind of like the burnout point, um, I think, for a lot of people. I mean, that makes sense, too. Like, coming to, getting to a point in the pandemic where a lot of people are vaccinated and things are opening back up. Um which is, you know, I'm in Canada, so that's happening a little bit more slowly here, but it is happening. Um, all of the sort of frustration and pressure that has built up, you know, during that time, there is that, you know, sense of wanting to be released and a sense of, of fear and, you know, all that kind of stuff that's happening on a collective level for us all right now. And, you know, I think some of us, I'm I'm definitely in the camp of people who put 
you know, perhaps too much pressure on myself um, during lockdown to sort of make something of that time. Um, well, you know, living through a global pandemic, which is an extremely stressful thing for all of us to live through. Um, so, you know, that kind of pressure um, when undergoing a lot of external stress at the same time can reach a breaking point. And, you know, sometimes when we're feeling that and we look at the transits and we see things that resonate with that feeling, it's a sign that it's actually time to take a break. It's okay to take a break. It's okay to relax. And, um, you know, with the way this is uh, playing out in your chart, Katie, you know, affecting all of the angular houses, basically, um, you know, your identity, your home and family, your relationships and, and your career and public life and your coworkers, all that stuff is um, relevant to these transits moving through your chart. And if there is tension between those areas of life, that takes a lot of time to sort of tease all that out um, and, you know, work out your priorities, you know, and, and where uh, some of those areas of life might be interfering with priorities in the other ones in a negative way. It just, it takes time and it's okay to just take a vacation from it, take all the time you need to process it. Yeah. I think uh, you brought up a good point about like the pressure thinking like what uh, kind of pressure is sustainable. Obviously, you need like a certain amount of pressure to propel things forward. Um, but it, when that reaches like a critical point where it's too much, like uh, gas in a pipe, it explodes and creates a, a big ball of fire in the ocean <laughs> that, you know, is able to sustain itself. I think that that like might tell anybody something maybe about uh, who has maybe planets significantly configured to that pattern that, you know, there is a, there's something there that needs to be released in a constructive way rather than, than a destructive one. But, you know, you have to uh, hit the release valve supposed for, you know, waiting for the explosion to happen or stop putting so much gas in, in, in the pipe. <laughs> But um, yeah, I think with that, do we want to move on to our next question? Sounds good. And on the topic of malefics, Keith has just dug a 100 foot, two foot deep trench through the yard and is now <laughs> breaking into the foundation of our house. <laughs> so that's as usual <laughs> the malefics are around me oh I'm, i feel great about it okay he's uh <laughs> yeah running electricity out to future chicken coop so that's badass that yeah that's that's a constructive mars saturn opposition yes yes it is all right so our next question comes from sammy who has a grand trine in the water signs in their birth chart and wants to know more about what grand trines mean or what their grand trine specifically means. So a grand trine, you know, obviously represents a chain of support in a chart. Um, and while it looks very beautiful and dramatic, something I find with trines is that they can actually be very subtle. Um, we have a real tendency to notice things that are not working or that are not going well or that are challenging. And when things are going smoothly, um, 
there's a tendency that we all have, that this is universal, I believe, to sort of take that for granted. It's like when you get a bad flu or a bad cold, that feeling when you start feeling better again and you're like, I am never going to take for granted just feeling normal ever again. But we all do, right? Like we just, we forget how good it feels to just feel normal until we have a cold again. Um, so I think a grand trying can be a little bit like that. It can be a little quiet. It can be a little subtle. You have to kind of do some thinking to tease out um, how it shows up in your life because it's often things underlying your your the structures of your life that just, you know, tend to go okay. And so they're hard to see. Um, but uh, the condition of the planets involved in a grand trine is also important to note because trines are indicative of support. If you have a planet that's in kind of rough shape in your chart and it's supporting a planet that's also in kind of rough shape, that can look a little bit more like enabling than like constructive support. Kyle, do you want to say anything sort of more generally about the Grand Trine as a configuration? Yeah. Um, so I think, like you said, a Grand Trine, you know, points to most of the time support, like you were saying. Like we don't necessarily know the things, notice the things that go well in our lives as much as we notice kind of the, the, the big problems. Like squares are more like direct confrontations and, you know, depending on the type of person you are, you know, <laughs> some people, I, I do, I hear that these people exist that, you know, notice how, how lovely the sun is being out today or, or how nice the, the flowers smell. Um, I know that those people do exist. I think for the rest of us, um, <laughs> when, when something's going smoothly, we're like, oh yeah, that's, that's just kind of there. But I mean, it, it does speak to cooperation and support and there's kind of like a feedback loop of it too. You know, when you see like a grand shrine like that. Uh, you know, I think kind of what you were saying too, like the conditions of those planets matter a lot. But I, I also really look at reception too. Like what kind of reception is taking place with those planets? I don't know if you're going to get into that a little bit, but it does look like there, there's quite a bit of it taking place. Yeah. Um, I will, I will uh, start a little more generally and then I think move into the details because, you know, you do... You want to get into the nitty gritty and, and look at which planets are involved and, and what they're saying to each other. Um, but I will say sort of more broadly um, that the, the trine is an aspect that has the nature of Jupiter. And so it has this quality of bestowing blessing or favor, you know, sort of like uh, um, someone in a, in a position of great influence um, or someone with, a, with great wisdom um, or a lot of resources is able to sort of bless people with, with this wisdom or with these resources. And, you know, you also want to look at, obviously, the houses that are involved in the Grand Trine. And in Sam's case, um, that's the, the first, the fifth, and the ninth. And so what you have is a chain of support between the first house, which is identity and self-expression and personal agency, and the fifth house, which is creativity, and the ninth house, which is spirituality and higher learning and all the ways that we sort of um, transcend what you know we're we're normally uh, capable of seeing or understanding, you know whether that's through study or through spiritual practice or through exploration. Um, through travel, that kind of stuff. 
So you've you've got this supportive um, configuration between those three areas of your life. And then if you want to get more into the details of what's happening in the Grand Trine, it's important to look at which planets are earlier in zodiacal order, because that's how you can see what direction the chain of support is moving in through the Grand Trine. Um, planets that are, if a, if a planet is making a an aspect to another planet, um, the planet that is earlier in zodiacal order, so say, for example, um, in this Grand Trine, Mercury is in Cancer and Jupiter is in Scorpio. So Cancer is earlier in the series of signs than Scorpio is. And the planet that is earlier is going to be the one with more influence in the configuration. So that planet is the bestower of the blessing that's characterized by the trine. That planet is in a position of offering help and support to the planet that's later in zodiacal order. I do tend to... Sorry, I want to interrupt you. No, please do. I, I agree with that. Um, I also, I mean, I sort of look at to uh, the planet that's earlier in zodiacal order it has, uh, you know, it is kind of the bestower, but it also can call upon, you know, the other planet too. Um, like it's sort of in charge, you know, kind of like what you're saying of the nature of Jupiter. Um, Jupiter I often think of as, as uh, like a patron or a, has a bunch of stuff to offer wisdom, money, but they can also, you know, being the, the patron or the bestower of the good can call upon you. To like, oh, I, you know, hey, can you, um, you know, you're a musician. Can you write a song for my my niece? It's, it's her birthday, you know. Uh, but anyway, not not to cut you off. No, that's a really really good point, and I'm glad you brought that up because there is. It's not like it's it only goes one way if there's an aspect. It does go both ways, but there is one planet that tends to, um, you know, have the sort of play play that role of being more of the leader in the configuration. So if we move through the trine in your chart, Sam, in zodiacal order, you know, we start with Mercury, um, trine Jupiter. And, you know, here you have Mercury in the, in the first house. So there is self-expression supporting creativity, um, supporting artistic creativity, um, supporting you know, fun and recreation. The fifth house is the party house. It's the fun house. It's where we do things that feel good. Um, and then, you know, as you move along, you have Jupiter supporting Saturn and, and Saturn's in the ninth house. So you see, you know, the fifth house, this creativity supporting spirituality, supporting higher learning, supporting exploration, and then Saturn supporting Mercury um, and because I know something about the context of, of Sam's life, um, I really, I'm focusing on the spirituality signification of the ninth house here in particular, you know, that spirituality then supports self-expression, supporting Mercury in the first house. Um, the most interesting detail I've noticed about this specific grand trine is the configuration between Jupiter and Saturn within it. Um, Jupiter is actually bonifying Saturn um, because Jupiter is in, you know, what's called the superior position being earlier 
in zodiacal order, uh, Jupiter is bestowing that favor upon Saturn and can also ask Saturn for things. Um, and Saturn in Jupiter rules Saturn too. And there's reception. Saturn is in Pisces. Saturn is in Jupiter's sign. Um, so that's like a very, very positive configuration between these two. Um, you know, Jupiter is playing host to Saturn because Saturn is in Jupiter's sign. Um, and because there's a positive configuration that, you know, Saturn's stay in Jupiter's house is, you know, perhaps that of a well-liked guest. Saturn's going to be taken care of in this uh, situation. And, you know, to get some details of how that would actually look uh, or what areas of life to look for that theme playing out, you know, you'd look at the houses they're in, which I've briefly touched on. You can also look at the houses they rule. Um, in particular, I was looking at the houses that Saturn rules because Saturn's the one being bonafide and Saturn rules the seventh house and the eighth house. Um so, you know, the seventh house obviously is relationships. The eighth house usually shows up as, um, you know, other people's resources um, and some darker connotations, obviously. But, um, you know, those those topics are being given some support uh, by Jupiter. And that doesn't mean that those topics are always easy. Um, Jupiter's actually being maltreated through an opposition with Mars, who's uh, mm -hmm. the out-of-sect malefic. So Mars is the most challenging planet in this chart. So Jupiter, you know, is is trying. I mean, there is reception with that opposition. Mars uh, rules Jupiter uh, in Scorpio. Yes, there is, there is reception between them. So it's, you know, a much uh, easier opposition than it could otherwise be. But it's still challenging. Jupiter still has, mm -hmm. and Jupiter's retrograde. Jupiter still has, you know, some challenges to deal with. And Saturn, no matter how well configured or well placed, is a challenging planet. Saturn doesn't represent things that are easy. Um, so it doesn't necessarily mean that the topics of those two houses are always easy. And being ruled by Saturn, um, you know, getting good things out of those houses can still take more time because Saturn does not do anything quickly. Um, and has very high standards for, you know, for what they mm -hmm. will let into those houses um, in your life. But it nonetheless is a good place to look um, if you're thinking, you know, how, where, where do I look for support in my life around these topics? That aspect from Jupiter can give you some insight into um, things that might support relationships and support, you know, um, we all end up in, in debt of some kind, you know, at some point in our lives, which is something the eighth house represents. Um, Jupiter, you know, is, is optimism and faith and spirituality. And because I think spirituality is a big component of this grand trine in general and of the relationship between Jupiter and Saturn, um, you know, I would expect that things like artistic creativity, which is in the fifth house, as well as, you know, spirituality, divination, um, those are, are topics that would be supportive of what Saturn is trying to do in your chart and, you know, ruling the seventh and eighth. Yeah. I, I guess I'm on that topic. It's, it's making me think of, of student loan debt because like Saturn in the ninth uh, ruling the eighth. Wonder, I wonder if there is a lot of student loan debt, but uh, I would tend to think that that's going to go um, 
go better. Like, you know, I would say if, you know, if this person was asking, like, I want to go to, I want to study this, but, you know, I have to take on so much debt to get that degree or get that series of degrees. I don't know if it's worth it. I would say it's, that's probably worth it. I mean, it's probably going to work out. The other thing I can't help but, I mean, there's a bunch of really interesting stuff about this chart because, um, you know, Jupiter, uh, so Mercury being in the first house and that trine with Jupiter, you know, there's some reception there since uh, Jupiter, you know, exalts in the sign of Cancer. I, it being in the fifth house, like I, I don't know, that whole configuration, like, seems like really good for storytelling. It might be like a very, uh, particularly like Jupiter and Scorpio, for some reason, I, I always think of kind of like suspense, like, like, uh, being, um, I don't know, like knowing how to like foster suspense effectively, like, um, Alfred Hitchcock had Jupiter and Scorpio. Uh, I think Stephen King did too. Like very good storytellers. And, you know, Mercury has its joy in the first, you know, like somebody who like likes, likes to talk, um, or likes to, and maybe more comfortable speaking publicly. Maybe, maybe not. Mercury is retrograde. But um, I think what also maybe reinforces that to me, could be going off on the wrong track, but that mutual reception with um, Mercury and and the moon. I know we're talking about the grand trine, uh, the water trine, but there is kind of a, a grand earth trine too. Um, it's not super tight by aspect, but they have planets in all of the earth signs, Mars and Taurus, uh, the moon and Virgo in the third and uh, Uranus and Neptune in Capricorn. So there's kind of like a, what do they call that? It seems like a spider web or something, but like a more pleasant spider web. <laughs> but like the moon, uh, you know, the moon's in its joy in the third, Mercury's in its joy in the first, and kind of uh, Mercury having like Jupiter to, to lean on. Um, it could be even like latent, uh, storytelling ability or, or something like because uh, Mercury and Jupiter are both retrograde. Yeah, I mean, Saturn too, uh, being in the ninth house, it isn't kind of the overcoming trine with Mercury. But I would say that, you know, Saturn's in, in pretty good condition. Gonna, you know, I think traditionally even like Mercury, Saturn aspects were to be kind of like stabilizing uh, sort of give uh mercury you know more direction a little more um yeah i've something that i learned early on in my astrology studies i had a teacher tell me it's better to have any aspect between yeah. saturn and mercury than none um because saturn can really ground mercury and organize mercury um and i also it's interesting that mercury rules the third house and saturn is in the ninth house um, which, you know, seems like a nice aspect for someone um, with a great deal of spiritual insight, but also mm -hmm. a good student. You know, these are both both houses that are relevant to the topic of school and also the yeah. topic of spirituality. Mercury's trying to manage that third house for you. Um, Mercury's in charge of that. So getting some support from Saturn, especially when Saturn's in the ninth, is definitely you know an ally um mm -hmm. in those areas of life and and will help with 
you know, third house stuff and ninth house stuff and Mercury stuff, um, all that kind of stuff. It's it's pretty easy to become unglued, um, you know, when you're, you know, really, really stretching your mind uh, to its limits, uh, whether that's through study or through spiritual exercises or mystical experiences. Um, so I bet you there's a lot yeah, of that. I, I would bet you. So having Saturn there to ground those areas of life um, and focus things, um, I think is really, really important. You know, Saturn is a good BS detector um, and can, you know, help you with discernment and, um, you know, can help you, um, you know, when Mercury is taking on, you know, too many interests, um, Saturn can kind of narrow that a little bit and keep Mercury on task. Yeah, I think Mercury and Cancer too kind of tends to talk in circles sometimes. And I think that um, Saturn can, can help that out a little bit too, you know? You know, we have these kind of two oppositions too. The moon is supplying to an opposition with Saturn, which, you know, it's a that's a pretty challenging aspect. And, you know, we have that Mars-Jupiter opposition. But what I like about that grand trine and the way it's configured to those oppositions, like it's kind of in a position to, I like to think of those... You know, if there's an opposition between two planets and like a trine and sextile, uh, respectively, with with another planet, that planet can sort of serve as a mediator. Um, like I like to think of it as like a translating uh, you know, a mediator. Like you know, these two planets are having a conflict, and this third planet, you know, has a, a more cooperative relationship with both of them, and can kind of think of like two thinking of like high school, I don't know, like two friends are having an argument and like the third friend can talk to both of them and be like, hey, you know, Shirley thinks your backflips are really great on the cheerleading team. And Catherine's like, oh, I didn't know she felt that way about about me cheerleading. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know, like they're maybe able to like open, open dialogue between the two, facilitate it a little more. Yeah. And I mean, just looking at the big picture of all those aspects and how they relate to each other, you know, the way the oppositions are getting a bit of help from that grand trine and, and from the harmonious aspect patterns that are going on in this chart makes me wonder if, you know, maybe there's a skill for mediation um, or mm. a tendency to find uh, mediators when they're necessary um that that's that's perhaps a theme that's going on and you know i'd have to dive into the weeds a little bit um you know to to dig out details of how that might look more specifically but just in a broader sense like could indicate a skill for conflict resolution or a tendency to you know find people who do have that skill when it's necessary to employ it doesn't mean there's no conflict but you know, accessing those mediation skills, whether within yourself or from other people is perhaps something that's helping when there are challenges and conflict. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. I would say that, I mean, it, it does point to there being conflict. Um, yeah. But even, you know, that's what I love about, uh, actually, it's one of my, it's like my, my personal keywords with Jupiter and Scorpio. It's like the gaining wisdom through conflict. Uh I, God, there's so much here too that points to like divination or like occult wisdom, occult knowledge, like uh, 
keep thinking too of um is it Dorth not Dorotheus? Who's the Egyptian? Rhetorius. Rhetorius. Rhetorius the Egyptian. Yes, Rhetorius the Egyptian says that Saturn and Mercury in aspect make astrologers. I don't know if it, you know, if they have <clears throat> an interest in, in, in astrology specifically. I mean, they're they're asking a question um, to a couple of astrologers about their, their their chart, so probably answers that. But they, you know, they might be uh, potentially very gifted astrologers if they chose to go that way. Yeah, or or tarot, or tarot for you know, sure. any other form of divination, and also that eighth house connection with uh, you know Saturn ruling the eighth house uh, from the ninth. Also makes me think of mediumship. Yeah, you know, talking to talking to spirits, talking to the departed, you know, feeling a a spiritual connection um, with the departed, with with ancestors, doing ancestor work, that kind of thing. Absolutely, they're all like very visible. That whole configuration, it's very, it's all has like a kind of a clean relationship with with the ascendant. Yeah. Yeah, so it has a lot of opportunity to actually be personally expressed, and there's an extent to which, you know, I mean, if if a grand trine was happening um, between supporting houses, like, you know, the 11th house was involved, and, um, you know, that might, the symbolism of that might have more to do with other people or circumstances in the environment giving you support, um, and not necessarily something that, you know, you naturally consciously take hold of. Whereas, you know, with Mercury in the first house being involved, there's kind of an opportunity for um, this grand trying to be expressed in the personality and for, you know, the the strengths and, and resources that it represents, um, being able to really consciously take hold of that. And like, kind of a good sign that, you know, the decisions that you make with your own agency are probably sound because that's what the first house is all about is, you know, your own decisions. Um, so if, you know, this is the kind of support uh, that, you know, your chart is giving you, then I feel like that's, that's a good indication that like, you're probably on the right track when you make choices. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that, yeah. Can uh, your big decision-making planets are, are well situated, especially, you know, the ruler of the, the first uh, yeah, being the moon and it's joy in the third, um, that awesome, really badass uh, mutual reception with Mercury. I'm, I'm <laughs> like, I love that. It looks, that's awesome. Um, again, you know what? I'm thinking about it. Like, you know, if they're really into tarot, maybe uh, a lot of tarot to me, my experience with it is storytelling. Um, it's being able to connect, you know, the cards together and whole story out of that that you know resonates with people yeah I, I would say probably a very gifted tarot card reader if it's something that they're into yeah i mean the whole major arcana is just you know one long narrative mm -hmm. it's a very it's it's a divinatory art that lends itself very well to narrative yeah which i mean astrology i feel like is, is similar to you know I, oh yeah pulling meaning from the from the symbols yeah and figuring out you know what kind of stories they're telling you've got your characters and they're all having their dialogue with each other and you know how are they moving the plot forward or mm -hmm. you know which which ones are foils to the others yeah there are always all kinds of stories going on in a birth chart 
<laughs> just thinking not that uh almost trying to like counteract a little bit i always have to do that the way my brain works like look for what could possibly be negative about this um and and the only thing i can think of i guess with like that you know grand shrine specifically is like the uh, could be like a, a a tendency to to look for drama in the story i don't know create drama in the story uh, i don't know <laughs> there's a I feel little... like Saturn's Saturn's probably going to yeah. rein that in, though. Yeah, That's yeah. Like the Saturn's know. not yeah. very pro drama. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I sort of like that. I mean, I think they they could if they wanted to. <laughs> Jupiter could be like, "Come on, Saturn, let me just let me just embellish this like a little bit." I mean, you know. That's true. Jupiter has a lot of power here to yeah. push Saturn around. I, I kind of see Jupiter as having like the most um, sort of power in that grand trine. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, it would be like the right kind of, of of drama. Just add like a little suspense, a little, you know. Well, in the fifth house too, for the dramatic. That's that's about fun. Yeah, you've got you got Jupiter in the fifth. Definitely, like big on good times. Yeah, and and with the Mars ruled fifth, what those good times are might be a little unconventional. Yeah, for sure. Uh, thinking too and i keep may or may not be a tarot card reader but they are um i've been to several uh for a while i was like going getting readings all the time and some of them were just like too uh i like the ones that like made it fun i don't know that like were fun and and easy to be with i I don't know like the the, some were like a little too serious a little too like uh business-like you know like I, and then there are those that were like a little too kooky, a little too, um, fluffy and, and like a little too woo woo. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, with Saturn kind of in the mix there and even like Mars, um, that opposition with Jupiter, which I don't think is like the end of the world. I would actually say if anything like that, Mars being kind of configured to all of it, like Mars is very, um, like yeah, tarot cool. Does it do something though? Like does it uh, does it accomplish a goal, a task? You, you kind of get like that fun Jupiter energy that could like you know make it interesting, spice it up, make it a little um, you know whatever fun, suspenseful. <laughs> like you get that like strong spiritual component, but you also get like a grounded kind of practical component with Mars and Saturn. Like it's very very balanced. I think that's what I like about grand trines is they tend to. Uh, indicate balance yeah it's it's a very self-regulating aspect pattern self-regulating i mean that's (laughs) that's one of the characteristics of of jupiter is balance yeah and stabilization you know with uh aspect patterns that involve squares and oppositions you know things become unbalanced or you know go to extremes really quickly whereas with a grand trine, anywhere that you know something might reach an extreme, it's kind of kept in check by mm-hmm. the configuration to the other planets, so that nothing really goes too far. Nothing really crosses the line. Yeah, it's very moderated. Yeah, Jupiter can see everything too. Almost just about everything. Try <laughs> like in a day chart. You know, the more Jupiter can see uh, in day charts, the better. Definitely. Yeah, I mean that's all I uh, I can really think about 
I'm just going off the aspect pattern in of, of itself. Is there anything you have to add, Tristan? No, I think I think we're good. All right. Well, I think with that, we will call it a day here. So anyone interested in a in like a full consultation, you can go to my website at kylepierceastrology.com and book an appointment. Having recently opened for consultations, my introductory rates are pretty low right now. So, you know, that's not going to last forever. Also in a bit of a, a gap period with my other podcast, Pillow, uh, Pillow Cosmos. Oh, I would listen to that Pillow podcast. Cosmos. Oh my God. Say, that sounds exactly what I mean. Yeah, yeah. It <laughs> sounds good right now. Uh, Pillow Cosmos. Um, Killer Cosmos. Uh, uh, I am waiting to receive a birth chart um, or a birth certificate for child serial killer Mary Bell. And uh, I'm dying to find out, you know, what, what her birth time is. I really got to know uh, what child serial killer looks like. That's just me and my malefic 10th house ruler. But uh, outside of that, uh, what do you have going on, Tristan? Uh, I am also opening up for consultations. Um, you can find out more about that on my website, which is badsignastrology.ca. And I have an Instagram uh, at bad sign astrology. So, you know, please feel free to check me out there. Awesome. Well, uh, we will sign off for today. Best of luck to you, Katie, in enduring the Saturn, Mars, Uranus, T square will pass. At least I'm telling myself that every day. Uh, no, seriously, it, it will. And thanks for sharing your chart with us, Sammy. Yeah, thank you both very much for your, your questions. All right. Well, we will see you all next time. If you have a question you would like to have answered on the Astrology Hotline, you can submit a question by email to astrologyhotlinepod at gmail.com. Attention listeners, Astrology Hotline is at war at war with unanswered astrology questions. We have the weapons, we have the training, but to achieve ultimate victory, we need your help. I want you to take out your phone, open up Apple Podcasts, subscribe to Astrology Hotline, crush all five stars, and rain down a righteous review of furious satisfaction. I want you to open up Spotify, subscribe to Astrology Hotline, and launch one high-speed thumb of flaming death at that five-star rating. And I want you to find the gnarliest, most insidious astrology question you can find. Email it to astrologyhotlinepod at gmail.com so we can slaughter it mercilessly on the show. Together, we can conquer astrology one question at a time. <laughs>